0: The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. I'd like to have us turn this morning, before we turn to Genesis, can you turn to James 3, 13, and then James 4. Let's look right now at God's Word. This is James 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. The wisdom, This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Okay, where envy and self-seeking exist, what are the consequences of that? Confusion and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit without partiality, without hypocrisy. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. That That's an incredible statement right there. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns gener- jealously. Word. What does the next line say? But he gives more grace. God resists the proud, but gives what? To the humble. Therefore, submit to God a word we do not like. What did it say? Submit. Did I say it? Did you say it? Did our husband say it? Who said it? He said it, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's a marvelous thing. He runs off scared. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, you hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of God and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save. who are you to judge another? Let's pause for prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, right now we come to you this morning in the name of Jesus. And Father, we look to you and ask that you might open the word of truth to each one of our hearts. And you might put together the lesson today in a way that only you can put it together. And Lord, we wait expectantly on you. And we pray that as we go from this morning, we will go forth with transformed minds, hearts, souls, bodies, and spirits. And the Lord, out of this group would flow rivers of living water to literally touch the globe for Jesus Christ. Now, Father, speak to our hearts today. Quicken our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Thank you, you promised to anoint your word. So let it just go deep into the cracks and crevices, the warp and woof of who we are. And let us see where we really are today in the light of scripture. And Lord, we just praise you. And would you please begin in me, dear Lord Jesus, I just pray. Thank you for the incredible freeing power of the blood of Jesus to set us free, to wash us clean, to get rid of the guilt. Oh, Jesus, we just want to submit to you today. Now, Lord, we wait before you. And Lord, we pray for your presence, your presence in the midst of great difficulty. And we praise you for Jesus in your name. Amen. Our church is doing something very precious this year. We have Lenten bulletins that have come. And they're, they're like devotionals for every day in Lent. And different members of the congregation have written the devotionals. And I just read through it when I got it. I got it a little late and just cried. It touched my heart so much. And one of the devotionals, the day I got it, I was a little late getting mine. It was on chocolate-covered cockroaches. And do you know what? It is exactly apropos for what we're going to talk about today. The verse of scripture that this one used, who's in France, is, Whoever covers over his sin does not prosper. Whoever confesses and abandons his sin receives compassion. Proverbs 28, 13. Isn't that powerful? And she gives the illustration of when she was in 8th grade, she had to do a demonstration speech for 4-H. Do you remember those? I remember helping out with those. <laughs> and so she decided she was going to do something a little off the wall, and she was going to demonstrate how to make chocolate-covered cockroaches. So she mixed together a batch of chocolate, but she mixed raisin clusters she really made chocolate covered raisin clusters but for the demonstration in front of the other teenagers she went to the library picked up one of the cockroaches took it to the demonstration and carefully went through the whole thing and dipped in the cockroach and covered it with chocolate and then she proceeded to take one that she had made at home that was really a chocolate covered raisin cluster in the shape of the cockroach and just bit into it, and just horrified, of course, the whole class of teenagers. And then her thrust is, she said, surely there is spiritual truth here. As covering a cockroach with chocolate does not make it good, neither does covering our sins with our own righteousness make us good. In this Lenten time, we rejoice that we have a Savior that sees and forgives sins. And as we confess and abandon sin, his compassion is poured out upon us. Raisins are better than cockroaches, and the righteousness of Jesus Christ infinitely better than our own. Savior, thank you that your grace has dissolved my sin. May I never seek to hide from your truth and mercy. And then her thought for the day, I love. I abandon myself today to the compassion of Jesus. Because what did the verse say? Whoever confesses and abandons sin receives compassion. And we don't receive the compassion of Jesus because we hold on to our sin and we will not let it go. So in the context of this, we are looking at two very difficult chapters of Scripture. And that is the ones that we're looking at with our friend Jacob. And I I have been in much soul searching over Jacob. And if I had worked through And if I had been God, I would have never chosen Jacob to call the people of Israel and give him a new name, no matter if you do give him a new name. You still think of Jacob, don't you think of, and you just think, how could God do so much and use a man with the likes of Jacob? But he does. And there's an incredible sense of the horror of all that this family went through and the total dysfunction of the family. But then when you see all of that, In the context of God's grace that we sang about this morning, that God can take no matter who we are or who we come from or where we come from. And God in his mercy is longing to set you and I free and start a new generation. So he can take the likes of you and I, the Jacobs, and makes us into Israels. And he can take families that are like as dysfunctional as Jacobs and make them into families of God. Is that not good news? So let's look at the word here. So Jacob went on his journey and he came to the land of the people of the east. And he's running away. Remember, he had he's lost everything because of his conniving and his deception. So he's running away for his life. His brother's planning to murder him. And he looked and in, in Genesis many times when they run in the east, it means they're running away from God. And he looked and saw a well in the field, and behold, there were three flocks of sheep. And there was a large stone, and all the flocks were gathered there waiting for for the well, the water, and the sheep. And they put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And Jacob asked them a question. And what we see here is that in the chapter before, in 28, God had met Jacob. And there had been a transaction between the eternal God and Jacob. And Jacob there, even though he was as conniving and just as, you just, and manipulative, you just as a scoundrel, there was something in him that still longed for the blessing of God and not to be a scoundrel about it and lie and cheat and deceive. But there's, but he meets God and God comes and meets him in this place. He doesn't expect God to show up, but all of a sudden he's there. And as God meets him, something does happen in Jacob's heart. There is the touch of grace on Jacob. And many commentaries think that this is where Jacob, what we would call in New Testament terms, his conversion, where he came to know Jesus Christ. And there was an essence of his entering into a relationship with God. But we see that he had a heart, for, began to give his heart to God, but it was a divided heart. It was not an undivided heart and so that there are many things in his life that have not yet come under the blood and so as he sets out here even though that is the case of jacob he's kind of like lord if you will take care of me then i'll do my part of the contract and i will follow you and i will even let you have some of my money when i ever get any money because he didn't have any money it's easier probably to tithe when you are absolutely flat busted than any other time but he makes this contract with god He hasn't moved into yet a covenant relationship. That comes later in Genesis. So even though Jacob has just begun, what happens? God takes him and meets him where he is. Don't you love that about God? And so he just heads off into the wild blue. And God said, right here in 28, he said, I will be with you. And so he meets all these people at the well. And he says, who are you? And they they know Laban's family. He's at Haran. He said, and they said Laban's daughter's coming up the road right now. So there is the providential leading of God in the life of Jacob. Even though Jacob wasn't all he should be yet. Now, can you and I not identify with that? The way God has led in our lives, even though we have not at times even known what it meant to be totally undivided in our heart, but that God has led and guided our lives and God has providentially brought us with people and in circumstances and situations and opened up the next step of his will to us. I remember when I was a little girl and my dad was going to to grade, grade um. Getting his PhD, and when he, and I went to four different high schools because he every year we had, we were in the process of getting that PhD, and so um, and my grandfather died, and so I had gone from one high school that in the whole school there were three hundred and twenty five girls. It was a little girls' school, Presbyterian girls' school, and from kindergarten to twelfth grade. It was a precious school. But then I went to Massachusetts, closer to the Ph.D. program, and the school had 3,250 kids in it. And needless to say, I was overwhelmed. And it was on split sessions because there were so many kids in the school. And so my dad took me to school and got me all in the process. Well, then he said, honey, I had to walk home. It was... A, we were two miles from the bus, we were right under the line and they were so overcrowded everybody had to walk under two miles. He said, can you find your way home? Oh, sure I can, you know, I'm, I'm fifteen, I know I can find my way home, Dad. So I, I, I just went to my classes, you know, And but it was, we got out at six o'clock at night. Well, it was dark, it was dusk, and everything looked different, and I was very tired and I'm not good with directions. And I didn't have a clue how to get home. But my pride would never tell my dad that. Well, so I walked out of the high school and said, Well, which way do I go? And I just began to walk. And I walked and walked and walked and walked. It got darker and darker. And then I didn't know what to do, and I was too shy to ask anybody. And I remember, you know how kids are, I sat down in a curb sat down on a curb and I said Jesus I don't know how to get home I'm afraid to ask anybody would you please get me home and do you know I sat there a few minutes on that curb and all of a sudden this car goes roaring past it was a residential area and then the car backs up and I hear this voice and it's bathy and I said, Dad? And he said, what are you doing sitting on the curb? And he said, well, I said, I'm lost. He said, and he said, well, get in the car. And my dad was taking friends home from Brandeis, and he got on the wrong street. And they'd never taken him home before or since. He got on the wrong street, and there I sat in all my glory on the side <laughs> of the curb. Do you know what? That is a silly story, but in God's working in my heart, in, in, the, in the pilgrimage of God in my life, I look back at that, and that is one of those bundles of red roses that Jesus gave to me, because where the eternal God, the eternal God came and met a lost little kid, a teenager, trying to adjust to another school, and moved heaven and earth to get her dad back there, And many times in our lives, don't you sit there like on the side of the curb and it's dusk and dark and you think, Lord, I don't know which way to go. I am lost. And then God comes in and he says, in his providence, he says, wait a minute, you are not. Just ask me. And there's someone that will come or there's a check that will come or there's this or that that will arrive. And there's the providence of the eternal God, whether you and I have our act together all together spiritually or not. Isn't that the sweetest thing about Jesus? And so that providentially, Laban ends up at the well, and it is the well for Laban. And he meets Rachel, and it looks like it's love at first sight. And he's an emotional man. He begins to, he cries. The pressure of being all alone, and then he kisses her. And it doesn't talk much about kissing in scripture, but this is one time it kisses her. And then she runs home and Laban comes out. So then we begin to get Jacob at the well and God's providential leaning. But then we begin to get Jacob and Laban. And Jacob meets his match in Laban. Do You know what? And you and I wonder why. Even when grace touches our life and you and I begin to walk with God, do you know what happens? Some of the consequences of our choices before grace still are reaped in our life. Galatians 6 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And you and I say, why did we have to reap the consequences since God has moved into our hearts and we're trying to turn over a new leaf because there's something God has to show us and do in our own souls and psyches so that God can set us free and that personal chastisement and discipline begins to make us men and women of God that he can use. Do you remember the story in C.S. Lewis' book Uh, uh, the horse and his boy and remember Shasta was the young fellow in that and he was running away from his uncle and then he met Erebus who was also running away from the king and Erebus when she, she was a proud arrogant little gal that had grown up in the king's court and when she left the king's court she drugged her maid and then and knew that the maid would be beaten, but she did it anyway. She had absolutely no regard for Arabic, for the maid, and then fled, and the maid was severely beaten. Well, they, the two of them, Shasta and Erebus, meet each other, and during their encounter in the forest, they also meet Aslan. who's a personification in the novel of the Lord Jesus. And Aslan lets Erebus be thrown from her horse. And then Aslan tackles her. He scratches her. And he scratches her twelve times. And so she's roughed up. And Shasta's very angry. And when he sees that Aslan, he said, Why did you why did you do that? Why did you allow that to happen? And he said, that's not between you and me. It's between Erebus and me. And then when Aslan gets alone with Erebus, he said, I gave you 12 scratches for the 12 lashes that you're made, God, that you never felt. And he said, now there will be something in your life where you will have the capacity to feel what another person goes through because of your sin and your thoughtlessness. And there's something in the heart of a righteous God who says you are not going to get by with deception. And if you have done that willingly on your father and on your brother, you are going to have to drink of the very cup that you've spilled out. And so in the sweetness and the mercy of God, God moves into relationships so that Jacob begins to taste not what it means to be the deceiver, but to be the one that is deceived. Do you think after fourteen years of being in service to Laban, and after he's given one wife that he's lo- he's looked forward to marrying, it was out a day Scripture says because of her love for his love for her, and then he ends up on the morning after, and he finds out it's her sister, and that he must work seven more years for no pay, just seven more years for the woman he loves. fourteen years of his life. Do you not think there would come into his life a little bit more sense, a little bit, a greater sensitivity to deceiving and to lies? God lets the consequences of sin hit us so that we can begin to feel what it feels like in the life of other people. Now, there were some innocent parties in this. Because one of the innocent parties was a woman named Leah. It was not wrong for Jacob to fall in love with Rachel, and he did. He loved her. He loved her from the very beginning. And it was very wrong of Laban to so to so use his his daughter and use Jacob. He did wrong. But we see in Leah a woman. Who suffers innocently for the wrongs of others, and she finds herself in an untenable position. Leviticus 18, 18 says, "You don't ever have to, you don't ever marry two women, and you don't ever marry two two sisters, unless one has died," because of the incredible pain. And so this was not the situation God intended, but it was the situation of men's choices. And there are some of us in this very room today that you have been an innocent party to choices that other men and women have made, and they have been wrong choices, and they have been evil choices. And you have been innocent in that, and you have had to reap the fruits of that in your very being. But once again, I love Jesus. Do you know what it says? When the Lord saw Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. There's a compassion in Jesus for those of us and those in this room who are there where it comes into our lives, things where you suffer and you suffer for things you did not do. And what Leah did not know she made, she knew it better here than she she lost it later on, that she had such a refuge in God. But once again, they are starting Christian history. They didn't have WJAMM. They didn't have scripture. They didn't have uh, Christian CDs. They didn't have anything. So that they are doing it all by the skin of their teeth. So, but Leah... longing for her husband's approval longing for her husband's love but God sees and God cares and God is with her and so that God gives Leah four sons and even though Leah was the unloved wife and in all of her six sons that she bore to him they all are talking, one talks about wrestling with her sister All the rest of them are even down to the sixth son. Maybe my husband will dwell with me now. She is looking for love from Jacob that was not there. And do you know what? they are difficult marriages in this room where we begin to look for love in husbands or maybe family relationships or friendships and people let us down, it is not there. And that's why I read the Hebrews. Because God says, if you are in situations of your own choosing, or you're innocently in those situations, and you are in situations where your needs are not being met, and you feel unloved and unappreciated and uncared for, do you know what God says? You come to me and let me meet those needs. Don't you try to meet them and meet them and meet them and meet them. And, and why do you fight and quarrel among one another? It is because you have not, because you ask not. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I am so lonesome. Jesus, I need to feel loved. Would you love me today? Jesus, would you come in and meet the deepest needs of my heart? And Jesus will do it. Do you know what else Jesus did for Leah? Do you know the princely line of Israel came from her son Judah? And from that princes, princely line, who do we get? The Lord Jesus. wasn't from Rachel. Do you know the Levitical line came from from her son Levi, the priestly line It wasn't from Rachel. The end wasn't the end. <laughs> God looked on Leah and her suffering, and He chose her to be the beginning of the princely line as well as the Levitical priestly line for the whole people of Israel. And out of her line, the Lord Jesus came. And the end wasn't yet. Rachel prematurely died. And who was buried with him and lived at the end of her days with Jacob? Leah did. And it was a grave, and it was for Abraham and Sarah, and Leah and Jacob, because Rachel was buried in Bethlehem. In our darkest hours, don't let go of Jesus. Hold on, hold on. Whether you can see now or you can't see, nestle into him more closely. Hold on to him more strongly. Let Jesus become the joy of your heart. And out of that love relationship, you have no idea what God can do, not only for your little needs, but for all of human history. Isn't that precious? Are you in love today? Do you feel unloved? Are there big gaping holes inside your soul? God wants to use other people. He wants to use loving husbands. He wants to use those. But really, those are all gifts. The deepest, deepest need in your life and mine is for himself. And we never truly satisfied with any of the others They never live up to our expectations until, first of all, we lose ourselves in love with Jesus Christ. And we can only do that when we have an undivided heart. When it's all of you for all of Jesus. And then when that's true, God can move in and meet us in ways so that there isn't fighting and quarreling all the time. But there's sweetness of His presence as we rest in Him. Well, what about Rachel? She was a beautiful woman. And, but in chapter 30, we read, Rachel envied her sister. Because there was one thing, Rachel had it all together, but the thing that she longed for most of all, she could not manipulate or connive or strive to get. It was out of her control. And God put Rachel in a situation that was absolutely out of her control. And what makes us any more angry is when God puts us in situations where we are out of control. And so she responds like a saint. She goes to the church and has daily prayer meetings to meet God with her problem and her situation. She calls her best friend on the phone and says, please pray with me because I have this need. I am barren and I long for a baby. How does she respond? Mm -mm, She's not there. And she envies her sister and she goes to Jacob and she says, give me children or I die. And Jacob, the spiritual head of the home, says, don't worry, let's just take this to Jesus. No. He gets angry. Well, do you think I am? I'm not God. I can't do anything for you. So that they, in their need, they both fight. And so, um, but so Jacob has one woman longing for him to love her and the other one longing for him to give her a baby. So Jacob can't live up to anybody's expectations. He is in a total lose-lose situation. And so Rachel... Decides, I'm just going to handle this on my own, and there's no thought of God's working. She's just independent. Life's been good to her, and this is her like her first thing. And so she just so she says, um, she stands up and she said, "You're to go into my maid, Bilha, and I'm going to have children by her." And we begin a power struggle between Leah and Rachel. And Jacob, once again, he doesn't stand up for right or truth. He just does what she says. So it almost is like the young and the restless. I mean, it's just, it's just, you thinks. And one thing, though, about biographies in scripture. Have you ever read biographies where they make you sick? Because they're so lovely. Everybody handles everything so beautifully. You just close and say, I can't live up to that. These people are beyond belief. There's nothing like that in Holy Writ and so so then A- Re- A- leah brings in her maid and so what has he got he's got four more sons but is that made rachel the mother of those children no it even in her own effort she has still not gotten those deep needs met because she's trying to meet them in her own strength are you and i today doing that are there situations in your life and mine where we are out of control and we are trying in every way to get rid of the incredible pain in our heart. And you know there's no way to get rid of it. And God may be allowing that very pain because it is only in pain, or most often in pain, that turns our hearts finally to say, God, can you not help me? I am against the wall. And that's what he's been waiting for. Not because he's mean and cruel, but he could not get our attention any other way. And so not only does the power struggle go on between the sisters, what did Hebrews say about envy and, st- envy and self-seeking? It causes confusion and every evil desire. And poor wisdom, wisdom that is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Rachel did not have good wisdom in how she handled this situation. Neither did Jacob. And so then we have, they go out to the field and Reuben, Leah's firstborn, finds mandrakes, and these were considered by the ancients the clomid of the day, the fertility drug, the thing that could be used to produce offspring. Well, Rachel is very interested in this, but she doesn't. She wants it, and who has it? Leah. So she says, "Please give me some of those mandrakes." And Leah says, "Thank you. No." You have my husband. I'm to give you mandrakes too. No way, Jose. And so she just shuts her out. And then she goes into a deal. And so Leah hires Jacob for the night. Talk about dysfunction in a family. Can you not? Can you believe it? You think how in the mi- world can God work? And this is the family that's going to produce the twelve tribes of Israel. Is there not hope for every one of us here? All you can say is grace, grace, grace. Look what Jesus can do with broken, needy people. It's beyond our belief. We cannot even imagine it. And so Leah has two more children. And then we end up with the wages of Jacob. And Jacob works for 14 years and then I says I'm ready to go and Laban hates to lose his free labor and he said what are your wages? He's a little more courteous than he has been in the past and so Jacob says what if I take all the spotted sheep and goats and you keep all the others and then there'll be clear line of distinction between well whose?" Who's? and so Laban says fine and then he immediately gets his sons to take all the spotted sheep and goats out of the herd and takes them three days journey away when Laban goes to get the flock, there's none. So he's once again totally duplicious. But Jacob is a match for him. Answers uh, superstition and selective breeding. He ends up taking all the choices of those white sheep and just those different things, and he ends up with a whole batch of spotted sheep and lambs. And the stronger ones are Jacob's, and the weaker ones our labans and then we get ready to leave and that will be next week but I'd like to just say how do you apply what we talked about this morning a man who hasn't come to the end of himself what are some of the fruits of a divided heart envy strife confusion evil desires wisdom that is not from above what were the attributes of wisdom that comes from god pure and peaceable without partiality easily entreated peace let me say it again peace Reread them. he didn't know anything about that because his heart was not holy gods the bottom line in jacob's day was Jacob, is your heart a holy mind? The bottom line right now today is the same question. Is your heart holy gods? Are you holy gods? And do you know what? Just like chocolate doesn't make cockroaches in the raisin clusters, neither so does your self-righteousness and our good acts or our good intentions give us a holy heart. The only thing gives us a holy heart is to submit. To submit to God, draw near to Him, resist the devil, and enter into a love relationship with Jesus Christ where you are all His, and He is all yours. Have you done that? I called my sister this week, and she told me she watched a video on the life of Mother Teresa. And she said that Mother Teresa, she said it was an incredible video, and she said some parts of it I could barely watch because of the human suffering in need. and need. It she broke my heart. But she said, Beth, I got a few quotes from Mother Teresa. One was that um, if I had never picked up the first dying man, I would never have picked up the next 42,000. Holiness is not a luxury for a few. Holiness is the simple duty of every believer. We have been created for his holiness. By forgetting ourselves, we find ourselves. Poverty was not created by God, poverty was created by you and I because we will not share. Then she closed with this story and with this I closed. She said, Mother Teresa said, I never have said no to Jesus and I'm not going to begin now. And she was was called, she felt a burden on her heart to leave Calcutta and to go to um, Beirut in the middle of the fighting in Lebanon. And so she never said no to jesus she wasn't going to begin now so she got in the plane and she went to beirut where she felt led to go to the war zone so she went to the war zone when she got to the war zone she met with the generals and she said i believe that i'm supposed to be here because jesus told me to come and she said i just wondered what's going on in the war zone the general said Lady, there's a war going on in the war zone, and it's no place for a lady go back to Calcutta. We do not need you right here. She said, well, that may be true, but she said, I believe Jesus has called me here. Is there anything unusual about the war zone? There's nothing unusual except war, and everything's unusual in war. Just leave us alone. We're running a war. And then one aide spoke up, and he said, Well, there is one unusual thing in the war zone." And she said, what is that? He said, there's a house in the middle of the war zone that no one can get to and it is full of children. Children that have been so maimed and so bombed and so broken by the war that no one can get them out except to hand carry them. And none of us have been able to go in and get them because of constant fighting. And she said, that's the one I'm supposed to go. They're crying. And Jesus hears them. And he has sent me to go get them. And she said, oh, I will be back. And she went home and went to pray. She came back the next morning and the general said, no, not you again. (laughs) Said, yes. She said, I talked to Jesus. And he said, tomorrow there will be a ceasefire. And could you please have the trucks ready because I'm going in with some of my sisters and we are going to get those children. They are crying and Jesus has heard them and he has sent us to go get them. And the man said, lady, you're crazy. There's no ceasefire. There's no way you can go into the war zone. She said, maybe not, but we will see tomorrow. Whether Jesus told me or he didn't tell me, maybe not. We will see tomorrow. That night, they called the 24-hour ceasefire, and in the early morning hours, she was on the front line, and she said, Do you have our trucks ready so we can go and get the children? They are crying, and Jesus has sent me. And so she and the Sisters of Charity went in and hand-carried those children from the war zone to a place of safety, and then she cared for the ones that God had cried and Jesus had heard. Do you know why Jesus wants undivided hearts? Because there's a world that is crying. They're minus. There are people that are so hurt and so broken. There are children, children in war zones. And we hold on to our sins so that God can't work through us because he's so busy working on us. Is there not one or two of us today who say, Jesus, I will let go of it all. I will let go of it all. And what you did in that little woman's heart, you don't have to take me to Calcutta. Just use me right here. Use me right here to be available so that those that are crying, you can lead me to, And just be available to take them out of the war zone and take them to the place of safety. What Jesus is. Jesus is a broken, lost, dying world, and He is longing for you and I to come in and become like a Mother Teresa to say, I never have told Jesus no. I do not want to begin now. Is there any sin in you and I today? Have we let go of it all? Are we all His? The longing of his heart is a rough relationship with you. The longing of Jesus' heart, will you let go and be his today? While you like the article, Is you like chocolate covered cockroaches?